yes, hello again. This is another episode of Deep Point, an extra podcast from Emerging Cricket, where we go into detail on a story that we didn't have time to cover on the main show. I'm your host, Nick Skinner, and today it's all about ICC politics. Now, to guide me through on the journey into that Byzantine world, I'm joined by cricket journalist Tristan Lavalette, who's written for a number of publications and is currently contributing to the sports money section of Forbes, as well as Agence France Presse and the Australian Associated Press. Welcome, Tristan. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah, no worries. Um, now, this is a, a very uh, convoluted topic. So you've been covering ICC politics in some detail recently, and you know, much of that has revolved around the chairmanship. So just as a bit of a sort of overview to, to get started, where does that role sit within the ICC and what are the actual powers of the chairman? Yeah, well, it's a, a bit of a funny one because like a lot of um, we see in politics and local councils and, and state politics and all kinds of things, there's all kinds of uh, different powers to be. So in the ICC, it seems to be between the C- CEO and the chairman. So there's sort of two different divisions and again there's a lot of bickering who actually has the power is it actually the ICC um, or is it the board members so I guess you could make, make your own mind who has the power um, they both think they've got the the power but um, the chairman definitely does have more of a power these days I think in on the ICC um, and the chairperson is meant to be independent just Greg Barclay just got elected as the second uh, independent chairman. But of course, we know there's a lot of um, politics behind the scene, a lot of influences from certain countries. So there's always that uh, thought that the chairperson really is pulling the strings for the good old BCCI, who pretty much a lot of people think run the ICC. So yeah, it's I guess you could say the chairperson, maybe it's just a bit of a figurehead, but we would like to think they've got a little bit more power. So we know that the previous chairman was Shashank Manahar, whose term expired early this year, and he was the first independent uh, chairman. Now, that was a while ago. So what's happened in the intervening time between his term expiring and Greg Barkley finally getting the nod? been a lot of stonewalling and a lot of nothingness, basically. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> typical ICC, anyone that's followed the ICC in cricket know there's a lot of, a bit like, I guess, Test Creed itself sometimes, <laughs> drawn out, and that's certainly the case in the ICC. Yeah, I think, yeah, basically last year, I think he signalled his intentions that he was going to leave and he couldn't find a successor or that's apparently he couldn't find someone to basically replace him and then there's been um, his deputy Imran Khawaja was not sure or hesitating whether he was going to to run there was um, Colin Graves from England was considered the front runner at one point uh, but he didn't seem to have much support at all unfortunately for him um, Dave Cameron from the West Indies wanted hmm. to run, but he had no support from his own board or ex-board. So he wasn't, uh, he wasn't going to stand much of a chance. And Imran Khawaja was seemingly had support, but for whatever reason, didn't want to announce formally that he was going to run. Um, so it sort of dragged on for a long time. Now you hear different sides of the, the story on that one, why it took so long to announce the actual chairperson process. Both sides kind of claim the other one wanted it to drag on further. There is no doubt that the longer it went, that basically it helped 
galvanise, I guess, the, the BCCI to find a preferred candidate. And that candidate was eventually Greg Barclay, who came in very late in the piece. Um, and eventually it was just Greg versus Imran Khawaja. Now, some people think that had Imran uh, announced his candidacy a lot earlier, that perhaps he could have um, actually, you know, had much more support and maybe he could have ran without a contest, I guess, without anyone else contesting him. But for whatever reason, I'm not sure if he was just scoping the situation out, whether he didn't think he had the support, whether he was a bit wary of the BCCI maybe, uh, we'll never know, but he didn't really announce it formally. I know Crick Info had a report in, I think, February that he was going to run, but he, he didn't really um, seem to announce it to other members until pretty late in the piece either. So eventually it was just a two-horse race, and then a lot of fun and games happened after that. So, yeah, you mentioned there was a lot of nothingness for, for quite a while and, uh, you know, perhaps stonewalling. <laughs> a lot of people sort of looking in from the outside might wonder, you know, how, how does it take, I think, what, eight months, maybe even more to, to get a new chairman? How can an organization as big as the ICC go for so long with, with no one at the helm, really? Uh, you know, was, was that all because Kawaja would get the job by default if nobody could agree on a candidate or, or was it a bit less cynical? No, it seemed to be that they weren't sure what the process, in terms of the actual voting uh, procedure was going to be. It seemed to be a lot of bickering, whether it would be the two-thirds majority or just a simple majority. And it seemed to be that I, I suppose the Kawaja camp probably preferred the two-thirds majority because it most likely that the other side, the BCCI camp, would probably have more votes but whether or not they would have enough to get through was was a question because, yeah, Kawaja, if he didn't get the, the two-thirds, would have, after three attempts, he would have basically been in the chair by default for another 12 months, I guess. So he only really needed to have about six votes to basically, yeah, to, to basically stay in the chair. So, so that seemed to be a lot of the, the bickering now. The other side will say that it actually favoured eventually the Barclay side because the the drawn-out process galvanised uh, the BCSCI to find a candidate, plus the COVID situation really did spook a lot of boards and uh, a lot of boards, full members, are worried about the, the future and the effects the pandemic is going to have on their country moving forward with Apparently, next year actually is going to be the um, the full brunt of the, the finances will probably hit next year. So that probably also, yeah, but probably contributing a lot of um, countries feeling a bit spooked. Um, so it, at the end of the day, perhaps originally it seemed like it might favour Kawaja, but it probably swung around and and actually helped Barclay. So you did mention a number of candidates sort of bobbed up and then disappeared. You know, Colin Graves, Dave Cameron. I saw some rumblings about Andrew Nui, or that potentially was uh, was a bit more of speculation. But you know, what what happened? Where did Barclay come from, and you know, why was he so able to uh, effectively uh, come in so late and 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 be so successful? 
Yeah, no one really knows, actually. <laughs> it happened really late in the piece. I didn't hear his name bandied around at all. It was basically just Kawaja, Colin Graves, and possibly Dave Cameron were basically the only ones who seemed to be seriously running for it. And then there were rumblings that uh, Ganguly might run for it as well, but there's a lot of turmoil in India and uncertainty and a lot of uh, lingering mistrust from what happened, of course, in 2014 with the big three. So it was probably not really the right time for someone from, from India to become the chairperson. So I think they were probably smart enough to realise, look, let's try to find someone a bit more subtly. And Greg, <laughs> Greg Barclay was probably the right person because he's um, from a smaller full-member country and he's... He is well respected. I mean, everyone I speak to from from all camps, from both camps, they all like him. They all say he's a good bloke. Everyone says he's a great bloke. But of course, as we see in politics all the time, once you've done potentially some trade offs and and maybe uh, maybe sold your soul, um, <laughs> then who knows what's <laughs> going to happen in the future. So uh, maybe that's a bit of an exaggeration, but we'll see. The the test time will tell with I guess Barclay's time in the chair. So, yeah, just looking at that election, I don't necessarily want to put it into party politics terms, but you know, what were Kawadra and Barclay offering to the other members to try and get their votes? You know, what, what, was, what were the platforms, I guess, if you want to look at it in, in that sense? So Kawadra was more about increasing ICC events. He's thinking more in line, in line of about eight or nine, I think, uh, which would increase, uh, I guess, revenue and spread the revenue out to smaller full members and also the associates world. Um, and he's very strong on the Olympics and also, uh, yeah, more T20 World Cups, for instance. And whereas Barclay was a bit more um, sold on bilateral series and, and preserving the importance of that, which obviously the, the big three countries of Australia, England and India are, are more in favour favor of. So... That was probably the, the biggest divide, I guess, between the two camps. And then after that, it was just a lot of politics, basically. So, But that seemed to be basically the biggest difference between them, really. So you, you've talked about the BCCI and the, the, the supposed puppet master behind the scenes. Um, one of your articles talked about India sort of pressuring other boards to try and vote for Barclay. So I guess that raises a question of why are they so opposed to Kawaja? You know, we saw also some some leaks into favourable media smearing Kawaja and you know the Barclay was reportedly the choice of all of the ex Big Three members and as you mentioned we've already seen him endorse the the bilateral touring model which is more profitable for for them. Is it simply just them wanting someone to sort of prop up their interests or or is there more to it? I think that's mainly most of it, but I think there's also a little bit of pettiness in terms of. Um, someone from a non-full member country, you know, going to the top and becoming the chair. <laughs> I think that's still part of it. I'm not sure if it's just the BCCI. I've heard some full members say it would be like someone at FIFA from, you know, Jamaica or something rising to the top, um, whereas they only have to realise that Switzerland 
has been the last two FIFA well, presidents, and they're hardly a, a football powerhouse. And I'm actually uh, my background is Swiss, so I can say that. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's a bit ridiculous, but uh, that's kind of the elitism of cricket that we've mm. all known exists for for a long time. So there's that over a century, really. <laughs> yeah, and. Um, yeah, Kawaja also, I think, has been willing to actually stand up to India from what I'm led to believe in in meetings and um, privately as well. So I think they might not, um, they might take offence to that perhaps. Um, they're probably not used to people standing up to them too much. So I guess Barclay probably fit, fit the mould a, a bit better, I, I suppose. So... Uh, you know, with, without yeah, exposing your sources too much, who was who was the swing vote? You know, who who got won over, and what was on the table to to try and I guess buy the votes, if you want to put it that crudely. Well, this is the the whole beauty of the ICC being so shadowy and secretive, just like <laughs> um, House of Cards or um, All the Friends <laughs> Men or something like that. Um, it's no one knows who voted for who at the end of the day, even the candidates themselves, there's a lot of false promises. So Kawaja, I'm told, was thought he had probably nine votes to start with, and the end result was 11-5. So basically, it seems to be his firm support was most likely, again, can't be 100% rock solid on this, but from what my reporting shows that Zimbabwe, Sri Lanka, Indranui, and Pakistan um, Interesting. Were, behind, yeah. were behind Khawaja. And the wavering countries were South Africa, West Indies, Afghanistan, and Bangladesh. And it could have been any one of those countries. Now, I've been told that India sort of threatened the status of an ODI series with South Africa for next year. So that was potentially um, one of the things that was put on the table and there's there was a bit of conjecture of who was actually voting for Cricket South Africa because of the, <laughs> yes. the turmoil there. There was basically two camps who were claiming that they had the authority to make decisions. So that was that was all a bit of a, a shemozzle. Um, and Bangladesh and Afghanistan apparently were pressured by the governments, but I did put it to the Afghanistan's new CEO and he denies that. But we all know that in some of those countries there are there is government interference. So it's possible. But yeah, there was basically those four teams, those four countries seem to be the ones that were wavering the most. Yeah, if we'll see if they get some tours in the near future. So <laughs> the the next uh, political wrangling in the boardroom is over the associate reps. Um, so that's another category to itself. Uh, so just talk us through what, what that is and how they're elected and, and you know, what's going on with that little situation. Yep, so there's basically there's three associate uh, member directors. Uh, so Imran Khawaja currently is the associate's chair, which is given to the, the person who has the, the most votes. And then there is uh, Tony Bryan from Scotland and Mahinda Valipuram from Malaysia. And they are all standing in a field of eight. So what's interesting is that apparently, again, we can't be 100% certain because of the secret nature of the voting, but Tony and Mahinda most likely did not vote for Imran in the 
chairperson election, which is quite interesting and has been uh, not well received in the associates' world. So they are probably under pressure, to put it mildly. Um, but, but again, who knows? So there's 45 votes uh, throughout the associates' world. Uh, he'll be voting for this. I think voting started today and will end on, I think, Friday. So we should know by, by the weekend. So it's very interesting because it also opens up potentially a couple of positions in the chief executives committee, which is pretty, pretty powerful and, and, is, and is seen as a stepping stone to get onto the board. So a couple of the potential candidates to get onto the associates directors is Mark Stafford and Neil Spade, who are actually on the CEC currently. And if they move up onto the, the board, then a couple of positions open up there. And some of the top associate nations are, you could say, jostling to get onto the CEC. So once again, there could be a bit of self-interest involved and, and perhaps um, voting for, for those two gentlemen. So they, they move up and a couple of positions open up for, for themselves to get in there so, and start making some decisions. So it's going to be another... It goes under the radar a little bit, this election, but it's actually... Um, there's quite a bit of importance to it. So what exactly is the CEC, the Chief Executive Committee, in within the ICC framework? And you know, what does it do and, and what do the associates do on it? So they work with all the CEOs, basically, with um, on the full, from the full members and basically just work through some of the, the main issues in cricket. So basically you're with all the decision makers and, and top um, administrators from every full member. So you start having a bit of an influence and can start basically networking and, and forming relationships with some of the, well, the, the top administrators um, across cricket. So it's, um, it's pretty important to, to be part of. And, and like I said, it's seen as basically a stepping stone to get onto the board. So, so if you can get onto that, it can certainly hold a lot of prestige and, and clout. Now, finally, uh, where does this all fit in with the Olympics? Because... Kawaja and Manaha were both keen on the idea. Uh, we don't know exactly which way Barclay's going to go, but we did see the ICC recently put together a committee to look into Olympic participation, though uh, long-term observers will know that it's uh, it's not the first time they've decided to look into it. So is now finally the time, or, or is it just more talking? Well, again, uh, this could all change because currently um, on that Olympic committee, there's Tony Bryan, who, as I said, he's, he's under the pump, so he might be not part of it soon. And Imran Kawaja, who's most likely going to, to get through, but he's sort of been the one who's, I think, spearheaded a lot of this um, Olympic talk. And, yeah, so there does seem to be a lot of goodwill um, amongst the board of actually finally getting cricket into the Olympics, with LA would be the, the earliest one. But, of course... As we've mentioned many times on the show already, the BCCI ultimately might have the, the final sway and mm-hmm. they, have an, they have an AGM on December the 24th. So where they're going to uh, apparently uh, discuss their stance on the Olympics. So basically, if they don't want it, then most likely um, this could all just amount to naught. So as a lot of things often do in cricket. So that would be disappointing. But at the moment, it does sound... Um, 
not just trying to pump up the article I wrote, but it does sound <laughs> quite uh, it does sound quite promising, and there are a lot of advocates on the board for for the Olympics. Well, let's hope for a a nice early Christmas present from the BCCI. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, if anyone wants to read more about this, they should just head to Forbes uh, and your writing on the topic. Thanks a lot for for talking us through some interesting times at the ICC boardroom. I know that sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, but uh, uh, thanks thanks for being on, Tristan Lavalette. Thanks a lot. Anytime. time.